0: Thank you for listening to another episode of the Open Doors Live podcast, a monthly podcast unpacking stories from the persecuted church that will challenge everything you know about faith, Jesus and the church. In today's episode, we're talking about Afghanistan, where the black burqas are back and men in rifles have become permanent fixtures in the streets. And more and more, Afghanistan begins its descent into silence. As international attention starts to dwindle after the Taliban regained power, local believers begin to settle into life with their new leaders. In this episode, your hosts Mike Gore and Jocelyn Gotto discuss what it's been like in Afghanistan, what we can do to respond, and they share a powerful testimony from secret believers still on the ground. So let's get into another episode of the Open Doors Live podcast.
1: Well, hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Open Doors Live podcast. It's Mike Gore here in our COVID safe studio with my long lost co-host Joss Goddard.
2: It has been a while, Mike. Nice to be back. Thank you. I am, yes, I'm back from maternity leave. I've got a six-month-old daughter now, so um, she's awesome. I don't think anyone can prepare you as a new parent uh, for what it is like when you take that first step into parenthood with your first child, but she's awesome. But it is also nice to be back doing some work and feeling a bit more like a human.
1: Yeah, look, I can remember, although not from a mother's perspective, <laughs> I can remember, but when we, we had our first child, Brooke, and just the, yeah, this is the turmoil we kind of threw um, our lives into. And it really did take a period of adjustment. And I just want to say um, to particularly all the working mothers out there, one of the things that I've learned is that it's such a juggle to figure out when is the right time to come back to work or How do I juggle it? Am I doing the right thing, the wrong thing? And and so, Joss, I guess publicly to you, you've done a, you know, to be back sort of in six months' time, 12 months, six months, whatever it is, you do what suits you and it is great to have you back and you're doing an awesome job as a mum and um, we're stoked to have you.
2: Awesome. Thank you. Um, It has, it it does feel like the world has shifted a lot since I left work back in April. Um, I mean, all of Sydney and other places in New South Wales and wider across Australia and New Zealand, really all got thrown into lockdown just after I left work and so life really hasn't been the same for many people. Um, But also while I was away um, I've been keeping up to date with what's been going on in Afghanistan Um, and I was hoping Mike maybe you could kind of give us a little recap for what's been going on over there. I know you know the world kind of stopped for a moment as we watched the footage of um, many different Afghani citizens you know trying to get to Kabul airport and that real fear and that sense of terror um, that kind of wiped through that nation really quickly. So I was wondering if you could, you know, elaborate on that a little bit for us.
1: Yeah, sure, Joss. Now, look, Afghanistan, it really is an important topic, but one of the wrestles we face, I think, in in life in general is when the world sort of attention or the media attention moves on, at what point in time do you, is the right time I guess, either stop being interested in it, stop knowing about it, stop investing into it with time, prayer or money, mm-hmm. And so today I thought that's an important thing to do, to have a look at Afghanistan, particularly in light of the fact, in so many ways, the world's and the media's attention has moved on. Yeah,
2: that's right.
1: However, the need and the impact hasn't. And so, you're right, let me just give this a quick recap. So when the US troops withdrew in August, the Taliban swept through the country, ending in the fall of the city, Kabul. The Taliban will now control Afghanistan and on the 9th of September, less than a month after the takeover, the Taliban announced their new interim cabinet, led by a new Prime Minister who's known for having a pretty conservative value set when it comes to women, Christians and civil rights. But in terms of what life is like for people in the country, Joss, well the situation is still very chaotic. Some women are being kidnapped from their houses and being forced into marriage, although we don't know the exact number. Many women will have to buy and wear burqas, especially in the big cities. We also know from local sources and from the media that many women haven't returned to work because they're afraid that they will be punished for it later. There is a lot of fear. And it's not just the girls who are at risk, it's the boys too. They may be recruited by the Taliban. We also understand that there may also be food shortages very soon. So just a really really difficult time for people living in Afghanistan and in the surrounding nations.
2: It really is a heartbreaking situation and you know for m- most of my living memory there has been such unrest in Afghanistan. Mm. You know I was 10 in the US um, sent troops into Afghanistan after 9/11 and so you know life even before this takeover with the Taliban was already incredibly difficult especially for Christians. Uh every year we monitor persecution around the world and we compile a list called the World Watch List um, that lists the most dangerous places to be a Christian. Um, And this year, Afghanistan came in second place behind North Korea, um, just just marginally behind Mm. North Korea, mainly because it's impossible to live openly as a Christian in Afghanistan. Uh, There's a population of 38 million people and only a really small handful of that number are believers. Leaving Islam is considered to be incredibly shameful and believers are forced to flee the country or be killed. I cannot even begin to imagine what life would have been like for believers prior to the Taliban takeover. Mm. And now, especially in these last couple of months since then, um, to be a secret believer in that region is just unthinkable.
1: Well, you know, despite the past two decades of persecution in Afghanistan, Joss, we've had reports that the church has actually grown, even though persecution has increased.
2: It's incredible, hey?
1: What we're hearing now is the Taliban are basically hunting down anyone who is not with them. If they're Christian, they won't be spared. Of course, like all citizens, Christians are afraid. Some have tried to escape the country. Some want to escape, but can't. And others have decided to stay as secret believers.
2: Saad and Fatima are two secret believers who have chosen to stay in Afghanistan after the Taliban took control. Their families have practiced their Christian faith in the shadows for more than 40 years. And although they're used to the dangers of following Jesus, they ask for the church around the world to intercede. If you love me... If you love Jesus, pray for us. For Saad and Fatima, the night the Taliban returned was significant for more reasons than one. That night, Fatima went into labor and a baby girl was born. A baby girl born into a Christian family on the night the Taliban took over Afghanistan. Saad's father read Psalm 20 over his new granddaughter from the other side of a curtain where the men were huddled together. It says, May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. May he give you the desire of your heart and make your plans succeed. May we shout for joy over your victory and lift up our banners in the name of our God. After his daughter's birth, Saad told us a list has been circulated with Saad and Fatima's names on it. It's a list that contains the names of other Christians who are also now targets of the Taliban. Since their takeover, Taliban soldiers go searching house to house. Saad told us some believers have been killed, others kidnapped, and a few have simply disappeared. His wife Fatima said it's not an option to follow Jesus in public. That the pain of living for Christ and risking everything for him is nothing new, not for her or her grandparents. We cannot speak of our God, but you can, Saad challenges us. So speak to him and find him as he empowers you and us to fight this era of destructiveness and bring his kingdom by being like him. Even though they don't know where to begin, they tell us they do know that despite the restrictions, There are the hungry who need food, the naked who need clothes, the prisoners who need freedom, and the lost who need God. Saad said, It will not be easy, but we do this because we believe Jesus is alive. If you love us, pray for us. This is where we are together, at the foot of the cross, where the full measure of love is known. Fatima's message to us is this. When you pray, she says, You meet us in the room of God's throne. You meet us there and together we can have communion.
1: What a beautiful and moving story, Joss. I can only imagine how terrifying it must be for them. After just having a baby and knowing their names are essentially on a hit list. Mm. But they continue following Jesus anyway. And for those who have chosen to flee as well, well, life, it's really hard. They have to go to the refugee camps in nearby regions and the living conditions in those camps can be really terrible. Winter is coming. So it'll be cold as well. And it's critical that their basic needs will be met. Language barriers also make living in different countries difficult. It will make it hard to know if they can actually stay or if they have to go back. Maybe you've been separated from your family. This is a huge human tragedy.
2: Yeah, it's crazy. And then you think there must be, you know, just basic needs like food, water, medical care, supplies for your children. Yeah, and we know
1: the running water could get cut off. Or if the water supply gets contaminated, it could lead to a lot of diseases. And if large-scale fighting breaks out, schools and hospitals could be damaged, which would really impact the healthcare needs of people still living in Afghanistan. And, Joss, COVID-19 is still wreaking havoc throughout the population of Afghanistan. So on top of all of the turmoil, all of the wrestle of the Taliban, they have COVID-19 Um, challenges to face as well
2: and just incredible poverty as well Mm. you know it's not a wealthy nation it's a war it's been a war-torn country for the past 20 years and it's had a complicated history before that as well so it, it does feel like what can we do to help? We do feel helpless from the other side of the world watching on, but I know there are, there are ways that we can be contributing to help believers in Afghanistan and other believers in that region. So I know we have a way on our website for people to give at the moment to support believers who have been scattered throughout that region. Mike, can you tell us a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, sure, Josh. So we know it's going to be a multi-year humanitarian problem and it will most likely be felt in neighbouring countries for years to come. So right now, as an organization, we want to focus not just on emergency relief, but providing long-term support to strengthen the church, essentially saying that just when the eyes of the world's media attention, and in some ways hearts, because we're often linked to that, move on, we know the the needs will be ongoing. There's going to be a huge need for maybe decades to come. And I think that's one of the things that I love about Open Doors is the long-sightedness of, of what we do now. That comes with, um, with, with a beauty but also a challenge. The beauty is that actually when the world moves on, we want to say, hey, how can we help in regions and wherever possible? Similarly, when the world moves on, it can be hard to get people to want to give or care. Mm-hmm. And so it's one of the reasons why, as you said, on our website at the moment, we do have a, a way for people to give into the long-term needs, um, people and communities in that part of the world.
2: Yeah, that's right, Mike. It's a big project. It's a big, um, you know, the moment seems to have passed in the media and and by the world's standards, but for believers in those regions, this is their life and this is, you know, what they're waking up to every single day. Um, And so the ways that we can help are not just financial, it's through prayer as well. And I know, Mike, before you've said it's often actually harder to commit to praying for someone than it is to give your money because when you give money it's like a one one time thing you've given and you um you've contributed in a way that is really valued but to commit to prayer you have to let these people into your heart and you have to let this situation change you and use you know let god change you um and and change your heart for his people
1: yeah look i think that that's actually a really good call out It's that i think that as christians we we really should be doing both mm-hmm. and it's not to sort of negate the impact of the financial yeah. support right yeah. so but I would say financial giving is often easy to be sympathetic with. So you might, oh look, oh man, yeah, that's pretty bad. I better help. Prayer is empathetic, mm. you know, requires your heart. And and so I think that the beauty of the Christian walk is when you you combine both the sympathetic and the empathy. Yeah. And for me, that's the like the the beauty, the million dollar kind of mix or the magic mix. And so you know we, we desperately want the financial help and sympathetic, you know, um help. Is a great support, right? I'm not gonna, I'm not trying to negate that at all, but I would say for me personally, I've always found it much more difficult to pray for, let's say, the persecuted church than give to it because prayer requires my time Mm. and it requires my heart. And so, I want to encourage you that you know, prayer really does make a difference.
2: Yeah, Mike, you're so, you're so right. And one of our local contacts in the region, he shared some really powerful ways to pray. He said, if you run out of words, pray the Bible. Pray for the Esthers, that they can protect the ones they love. Pray for the Samuels, who may hear God's voice. Pray for the Lydias, faithful women serving the church. Pray for the Abrahams leading their families. Pray the Psalms of praise and the Psalms of lament. Pray the desperate words of Job and the comforting words of Jesus on the mount. Pray without ceasing. Mike, we know there's nothing more powerful than when we can unite together in prayer. And so you guys, you can head to our website, opendoors.org.au and sign up for prayer news where you can stay up to date with what's happening in in Afghanistan, but also what's happening with other believers around the world as well.
1: Yeah, look, I really encourage our listeners to do that. If you're looking for ways to pray, jump online um, and sign up to those prayer requests. Um, Give financially wherever you can to help. Because this is going to be something that will be felt for years and years to come. And and we need to make sure that we are committed to helping Christians in that region of the world to best follow the Lord. And so, look, that's all we have time for today. But Joss, it has been great to have you back. And to our listeners, thanks so much for continuing to tune in. And we truly hope that the stories in this episode have challenged and encouraged you in your faith. So, from all of us here, we will see you next month.
2: God bless.
0: Thank you for listening to another episode of the Open Doors Live podcast with your hosts, Mike Gore and Jocelyn Goddard. To find out more about how you can support the persecuted church, head to opendoors.org.au or opendoors.org.nz. I'm your producer, Beth, and we'll catch you next month for another episode of the Open Doors Live podcast.